fantastic. 17. 17 through 24. We're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. I knew I should have brought the paper. <laughs> So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in an attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Carol. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So when J Jason and I became parents a few years ago, I didn't really understand that after the gifts stopped coming, you know, like the bottles and the diapers and the books for bedtime stories, the gift of unsolicited parental advice just keeps on coming. <laughs> and that's really okay in our case because we went from zero to two kids in five months. I mean, the two kids that we have and that we love dearly, uh, they arrived in our home five months apart and they are 13 months apart in age. So we really need all the advice that we can get and we're okay with that. But one of the things that I remember somebody said very early on, I think even before both of the kids were with us, was, Amy, you really need to enjoy every moment and you need to pay attention to what's happening because the days are long, but the years are really short. The days are long, but the years are really short. And we understand that to be true, right? Because even if you don't have kids, you, you have kids around you, right? You can see how quickly human beings grow up right before our eyes. And so, Jason, we have a couple of photos. You go from this to this, right? That's Natalie. And this to this, it's Augie. Thank you, Aaron Palmer, for that beautiful photo of newborn Augie. In a matter of days, right? In a matter of seconds, it feels like. Certainly in a matter of, of months and in just short years, we have this transformation. And really, when we look around, we see that growth is happening all around us. Transformation is happening all around us in nature. Or take, for instance, a vacant lot in a residential area that's full of dirt and rocks and cement rubble and old plastic toys, and it turns into something like this. 
in a few short years. This is our open door community garden. So we understand that transformation is all around us, right? So it's interesting to me with all of this transformation going on around us and even within our physical bodies 24-7 that we can struggle so much with the thought of spiritual transformation. We were built for transformation. We were built to change from one state to another. But often when it comes to our attitudes and our behaviors and the way that we view the world, we just want to shrug our shoulders and cross our arms and sigh and resign and say, this is who I am. I'm not going to change, so you're just going to have to deal with it. Right? We tend to have this attitude when it comes to our own attitudes and, and spiritual development. Isn't that interesting? It's certainly not biblical, the Bible is full of stories of transformation. I mean, consider Adam and Eve, for one, one of the very first stories in the Bible. They go from being a lump of dust and bone, right, to breathing, living human beings. Or you have Abraham and you have Sarah. They're this old, infertile couple, right? And they are transformed into the mother and father of a great nation, loved by God, blessed to be a blessing. You have Mary. Some people viewed her as an unwed pregnant teen, right? And she is transformed into the mother of God. You have Paul in the New Testament. He was murdering believers, right? And he's transformed into a great teacher who is willing himself to die for the faith. And if that's not enough, you have Jesus, who literally goes from heaven to hell and back again, right? From his first breath in a manger to his last breath on a cross, literally from life to death and life again. The story of the Bible is one of transformation. This is our gospel story as well. And if we don't believe that it's part of our story, then we need a new mission here at Aldersgate because our mission is to raise up deeply devoted disciples of Jesus. Transformation is built right into who we say we are and what we say we are about here at Aldersgate. But it's so easy, isn't it, to get distracted? To get distracted from the things that go on out there as both the source of the problem and the solution. To not really think about what's going on in here as well. So that's why the writer of this letter to the Ephesians takes time to write to the church to remind them of what they have learned when they first heard about Jesus and began to follow in his ways. You were taught with regard to your former life, it says in verse 22, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So I heard a podcast recently in which the speaker said that this phrase to put off the old self in the Greek, it kind of has this sense of a long-standing conversation. So it's like the writer is saying, pay attention to your self-talk, right? Like put aside that internal dialogue, that false narrative, your negative self-talk that is keeping you from growing. Just stop it. Leave that damaging mind chatter behind and remember who you are. A child of God in whom God's grace is really at work. Put off the old self. And then the writer says, get dressed for the occasion, right? To be a child of God. Put on the new self like you're putting on a coat. Get ready for what God is doing within you. So often these letters were written to specific communities, 
Um, and it's likely that this one was written to a church in Asia Minor, most likely Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And so you can kind of see on the map where Ephesus is located. But the themes here really are universal, addressing the ideas that, that any believer needs to take hold of. This idea that being a Christian is about more than simply believing in Jesus. It's about following and offering ourselves to be transformed. It's about aligning this change in our hearts with our actions. Not that we earn our salvation, but that we really and truly live into it. And so the date of the composition of this letter is thought to be around 85 or 90 in the common era. That's about 20 years after Paul died. So it's highly unlikely that he actually wrote it. I mean, that would be miraculous. But it's likely that a student of Paul wrote it under his name, which is an act of honor. It's a very common thought process and procedure for people who studied under great teachers. So the point is, even if Paul didn't literally write the letter, his theology is throughout the letter. It's written in Paul's theology as an act and a tribute to Paul. Thank you. Jason, the church at Ephesus was formed during Paul's second missionary tour, and it included both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, Christians who are not Jewish, and it's important to take note of that, because Gentiles are used as an example in the text, right? It's pretty gutsy, I think, for a writer to write to a church full of Jews and Gentiles and say, the Gentiles act this way, don't act this way anymore. It's pretty gutsy for the writer to use the Gentiles as an example of futility in thinking, of darkness, of understanding, of separation, of ignorance, of hard hearts, of insensitivity, of greed. Because, again, the hearers of this letter, some of them would have been Gentiles. I mean, talk about a, a preacher speaking right to you in a sermon. We hear that often after our sermons. You were, talk, you were talking right to me. Certainly the Gentiles would have thought that. The key to understanding the writer's literary purpose here is in that word of transition. However. He lists all of these behaviors and then he says, that, however, is not the way of life that you have learned. You, the writer says, you know better. So, so often in this letter, Paul and his associates are writing about reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles in the church community. And this letter certainly could apply in that situation. But the fact that the writer is using an example of Gentile behavior in a community that included Gentiles really points to the fact that Paul is saying something about the transformation of each person. It's as if the writer is saying, Paul or whoever wrote it, and most likely an associate, if you are a Gentile by birth even, even if these ways of living and being in the world that I am describing apply to you at one point, this is not who you are anymore. As children of God, we are called to put off the old self and to put on the new one. That's no big deal, right? I mean, we're washed in the blood of the lamb, cleansed by the waters of baptism, as they say. This is no problem for us. We should be squeaky clean by now. Then why do we act and feel so dirty at times? So let's talk about sin and salvation this morning. Now, these are muddy theological waters if we're not careful, right? We have to tread carefully and intentionally with each other. But as Methodists, we believe that we cannot earn salvation. 
It is a free gift of the grace of God, and it is a gift to be appreciated. It is a gift to be used in our lives, and we believe that we indeed are cleansed from sin by God's good grace. We are made holy and righteous because the divine does live and dwell and delight in us, as our text for today says, and as we say every morning on Sunday together. But we also acknowledge that we're still human, right? And so we're not perfect, not yet, anyway. And even our Holy Bible speaks to this tension. So we have in Romans, Paul saying, you have been set free from sin to become slaves to righteousness. You have earlier in Ephesians, the writer saying, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. So we have the sense that we've been set free, that we're holy, that we're blameless, that we're righteous. But then if you turn to 1 John, you go to John, 1 John 1, 8, you see if we claim to be without sin, then we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And so it's a both-and situation, right? Yes, we're set free, but we're still human beings, and we still make mistakes. We know that sin doesn't have hold on us like it once did before we lived and walked in grace and in the ways of Jesus, but we are still 100% human, right? We are both sinners and saints, as Martin Luther might say. And on some days, it's really hard to tell any difference, right? We're still living out of these false narratives, out of our old self. But sisters and brothers, as loved as we are by God, as holy and as righteous as grace may make us in the eyes of God, in this world and in our daily lives, we still struggle. Even as we see God's good and pleasing and perfect will, we still often act according to our own will, right? And it gets messy. And if you're raising kids or you have raised kids, you understand about messes, right? This is like a daily reality. Like when Augie is eating his favorite chocolate cake, Right? And he ends up wearing this beard of chocolate all over his face. Or Natalie's favorite snow cone is blue raspberry, right? So she's got this mustache uh, from consuming her favorite snow cone. Uh, they don't know their faces are messy until I tell them, right? I mean, they have no idea until they see it in the mirror. They're not concerned about this. They don't look at mess in the same way. And I'm the parent, right? So I can just walk up to them. I can grab a wash rag or a wet wipe, and I can just, you know... Wipe them clean. And what happens when you do that, parents? Oh, stop, no, no. You get the arms flailing and the legs flailing and the squeals of protest. It gets the job done, right? And it gets the job done fairly quickly, but it actually works a little bit better to lead them to the mirror, right? To let them see the mess on their face, laugh about it, joke about their behavior a little bit. Wasn't that fun eating that chocolate cake? And then invite them to help you wash their face. Because right? then they understand that it's messy and we're moving on to the next thing and it's good to wash your face so that you don't remain dirty and get acne and all of those things <laughs> that we think about. But that's a longer process, isn't it? It's a lot more work than just grabbing the wet wipe and wiping their face. You have to lead them to understand, to be aware. Right? And that's how it always works with self-awareness. It's a process. It takes a lot more work. And Pastor Gary talked about relationships last week and how relationships can be part of our transformation. They can invite us to, to be transformed. And that is so true. And one of the reasons that this sermon follows that one is that transformation is also about some inner work, about some self-awareness. We're not going to get very far in our transformation if we're not willing to do the inner work and really take a look at what needs to change within us. That's the work of God. 
we call it sanctification in the Methodist Church. It's the work of God, but we have a role to play in that as well. And it starts with a look in the mirror. It starts with self-awareness, a willingness to acknowledge our own messiness, our own futility in thinking, our own darkness of understanding, our own separation, our own ignorance, the places where our hearts are hard, where we are insensitive, where we're greedy. And the truth is we are contributing to those things in the world, even if we don't realize it. But we're so distracted by what's going on out there. We're not thinking about what's going on in here. And so the good news is that it's 2018, right? There's no shortage of self-help tools out there to help you identify yourself and become more self-aware and be transformed. And the bad news is it's 2018 and there's no shortage of tools out there to help you become more self-aware, right? I mean, we can just analyze ourselves in, into inaction, right? We don't know what to do. It's so much information. It can be totally counterproductive. I mean, I've taken personality tests, okay? I'm an INFJ on the Myers-Briggs. Any INFJs in there? We're a small portion of the world, but we find each other, don't we, Mimi? I'm a blue on the color test, the true colors test. I am a CS on the disc profile. And so what I found in all of this is, is basically this. This is me in a nutshell, okay? I'm rather introverted. I know some of you don't believe that. The job requires extroverted behavior sometimes, but I'm rather introverted. I prefer deep relationships with a few people rather than surface interactions with many. At a party, you're gonna find me with my back against the wall, maybe talking to somebody else, but maybe just completely content in my own thoughts. Right? I will always care about people and places and situations that I will never meet in cultures that I do not understand. I have high expectations of myself and of other people, and I clearly value strong, clear, structured communication. That's what I've learned in all those personality tests. And perhaps you've learned similar truths about yourselves as well. And this type of information can be very helpful in becoming more aware of how we are in the world, but also about how other people experience us, about the behaviors and the way that we work in the community. So most recently I've discovered that I'm a nine on the Enneagram. We do have a slide for that. And if you were in the talk at 10.05, you, you've heard some of this information. So this is the Enneagram. It is, yes, another personality analysis. It's actually a pretty ancient one. This one is kind of a synthesis of different wisdom traditions, including Christianity, and in this particular version, began to make its way in the US and really gained some popularity in the 1970s um, when Oscar Echazo came over from South America. But it's been picked up by other teachers as well, including Richard Rohr, who's one of my favorites. He's a Franciscan priest, and he's done a lot of work with the Enneagram, and he describes it as much more than a personality typing system. So you can actually go to a website, and I can give you some more information and there's some in your sermon notes as well and you can take a test and you can find out what your number is but most teachers say the best way to do this is to really self-identify to read through all of the types and kind of think through where you fit on the wheel and knowing that the idea is transformation right and, and we'll all exhibit some of all of those things 
And it could take years to fully self-identify, so don't, don't be scared if you read it. And you're like, I'm not sure where I fit on that. But one of the benefits of reading through all of the numbers and the types is, is to understand that you, you get a sense of everyone else on the wheel, too. It's not just about you. It's about other people in your life. And the goal of the Enneagram is not just self-awareness. It's transformation. It's growth of yourself and of the community as well. And so as you can see, there's nine basic personality types, and they're connected, and they relate to each other in different ways. And each type contains basic fears, basic desires, and motivations. So for example, I'm a nine. At the top of the Enneagram, I'm a peacemaker. So my basic fear is loss and separation. Right? That's my basic fear. And my greatest desire is inner stability and a peace of mind, and I'm often motivated for a need for harmony in my environment. And so at my best, when I'm my fully integrated self, right, and I'm, I'm transforming and I'm aware, that means that I can be a pretty calming presence. Right? I can bring a non-anxious voice to the table at my best, okay? Uh, but at my worst, I can shut down, I can disengage, disengage any sort of beneficial dialogue that could be happening, right? And just kind of envelop myself in this cocoon of stubbornness, right? Not that I ever do that. <laughs> Not that my the staff has ever experienced that in a staff meeting, right? But if I feel like my world is not in harmony, that's often where I can go if I'm not being self-aware. So aware, awareness of these desires and these fears and these motivations, they are not designed so that we'll just shrug our shoulders and sigh and resign and say, well, I'm just a nine. You're going to have to deal with me when my world's not in harmony. I'm just going to land right in the middle of you, and you're going to be okay with it because I can't change. Right? That's not what this is about, and the staff is grateful that I'm working on that. The Enneagram recognizes that each of us exhibits traits of all nine types. As I said, we all have some of all of these attributes. And in our growing self-awareness, we will cultivate more of those things. And we will grow to be more self-aware as we are transforming. And we will move toward the center of the wheel. We'll really be able to work together in, in a healthy place. And so if you're interested in knowing more and you weren't able to make it to the talk at 10.05, I've got some resources that I would be happy to share. There's also some information in your sermon notes. And even if the Enneagram or the personality type thing, if that's not your cup of tea, it's really no big deal. The point is self-awareness is important for everybody, however you go about it. It's really important because growth and development in our spirituality and in our sense of who we are and who God called us to be is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's important for disciples of Jesus. And this is true, I mean, this is a, the true idea in many different traditions as well. And Lao Tzu is the father of Taoism, and he said the greatest gift that you have to give is that of your own self-transformation. The greatest gift that you have to give the world is, is the gift of your own transforming self. Other teachers have picked that up. Ruth Haley Barton says that in several different ways in her teaching, and we, we use her a lot here at Aldersgate. So this idea is that's the best thing we can offer. It's the sense that we know we're not perfect, and we're, we're seeking to grow to be more like Jesus. So our greatest spiritual teacher, Jesus, had something to say about this in John chapter 12. When he said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. 
And we often use this passage in funerals, particularly at graveside services, right? But it's not really about death. It's about the life that comes from death. This is the path of a disciple of Jesus, the path of a deeply devoted disciple of Jesus, being willing to know ourselves well enough to do the work of putting the harmful patterns of behavior to death so that new life can spring up in ourselves and in our relationships and in our community because our life is about more than our own happiness, right? It's even about more than our own transformation. It's about the health and the transformation of others in the whole world. And I know that that thought can be overwhelming. I mean, in terms of the needs of the world, they are vast, right? They are varied. And again, we can, we can just get stuck and feel like we don't have anything to offer. I mean, what can one person really do with the world and the needs in it? Jason, why don't you show that next video? สิ่งที่เขาได้คือได้แค่ความรู้สึกได้เห็นความสุขได้เข้าใจได้ความรักในสิ่งที่เงินซื้อไม่ได้ได้โลกที่สวยงามกว่าเดิมในชีวิตคุณ
ะไรคือสิ่งที่คุณต้องการมากที่สุดโอเค so that video is designed to tug at your heartstrings right I've seen it several times and I still get teary um, when the little girl walks out you know with the school uniform on But what I appreciate most about this is that it gives this idea of transformation that we see in the community of a man who is willing to be grounded in faith and spiritual practice, and then to see and address the needs of others with great joy and ease on some days, but also with weary persistence on other days as well. And day by day, with those consistent behaviors, the community changes. People around him grow. Animals and plants, even they thrive. Right? Transformation takes hold in this block, this part of the world, and in his own life. And so, maybe thinking about transformation of the world is too big a task. Maybe we could just zoom in a little bit and think about, as this young man did, what contribution our own self-awareness and transformation could make to life around us. Um, even beyond our family, but within our families as well. This video is actually an advertisement for life insurance. Isn't that interesting? Life insurance, because it's really true. The days are long, but the years are short, and there's not anything we can really do about that. But the quality and the impact of the years—that's another matter. So my hope and my prayer then is that, as children of God, as people who follow Jesus, as believers here at Aldersgate, that we will understand this truth and be inspired by it to to be more self-aware, to be open to transformation, not just for ourselves, but for our church, right? For our mission field, for the world. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your love for us, for your grace, for claiming us as your children, to reminding us that you have created us for a purpose, that we have been blessed to be a blessing. We offer ourselves this morning to hear your voice. To pay attention to the parts of our lives in which we need to grow and change, to more fully reflect your presence and your work in our lives, for the sake of others and for the whole world. Most of all, for your gift of grace in Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen.